Amen. Beautiful song, peaceful song, thinking about the things of God. That's the kind of song I could put on repeat to go to bed every night with, you know, just, so wake up, <laughs> wake up. It's not bedtime, but uh, glad you're here. It is Mother's Day. We're so glad, uh, so glad that, uh, that you all have, have joined us this morning and uh, so thankful for our mothers. We're actually going to be looking at a passage this morning from Mark 10 that uh, actually looks at, uses the children as an illustration. So it's an appropriate passage for, for Mother's Day. It, it fits in with that uh, so well. And uh, one of the great things about the way that God created the world was that he had a plan for how do you help raise the next generation? I mean, you, you look out in the natural world, and, and there are all kinds of crazy things. Sometimes, sometimes an animal raises their kids. Sometimes they just leave them right? and say, good luck, see you later. I, I am so glad that God did not choose that for us, right? that he, he placed us in, in, in a family unit. And, and he established the family as the backbone for, for how the next generation would be raised. Right? And so in, in, uh, we, we all certainly hope that we had that, that perfect family unit, right? A, a mother and father to raise us and to help us along the way. And, and yet even when that's not true, God overcomes that by having others come alongside and lift and encourage and help along the way. Uh, sometimes there are periods of sacrifice where, where things are, are difficult. And uh, we're, we're so grateful that, that God has provided us with mothers who love us, who nurture us, and care for us. And uh, even though they're not perfect, uh, that, that God empowers them and encourages the, them to help us along the way. So it's a, uh, it's a wonderful Sunday to, to think about that, that great reality. But uh, we're going to be looking at, in Mark 10, uh, verses 13 through 16 this morning, this, this concept of, of children, and uh, really, it's, I think it ought to uh, shake up a little bit our, our understanding of how children were viewed in the ancient world. Mark 10, beginning in verse 13, says, And they brought, him young, brought young children to him, that he should touch them, and his disciples rebuked those that brought them. And when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased, and said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me. And forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever shall not, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. And he took them up in his arms, put his hands upon them, and blessed them. It's a wonderful account. We pray that the Lord would bless the reading of his word this morning. A wonderful account here of Jesus' care for children. And that's something that has has continued on throughout the Christian church today. This idea of simple faith, simple understanding. I heard this story, this account given, of, it's kind of an illustration with Sherlock Holmes. So, you know, think of it what you want. Holmes and Watson are out and they're camping out, okay? And so they're camping out one night. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the night, Holmes flips over, he wakes up, and he looks over to, to Watson, and, and he cries out to him, Watson, what do you see? And, and Watson looks up, and he says, I, I, I see the stars, Holmes. They're so beautiful. There's so many of them. There, there's more that I can even count, which tells us they, they must just go on forever and ever. It, it's so incredible. It, it's amazing, isn't it, Holmes? Tell me, Holmes, what do you see? He says, you fool, somebody stole our tent. And I... 
what, what happened? He, he missed the plain, simple thing that was in front of him, right? And he started waxing on eloquent about the stars and everything else. So, you know, sometimes we can become a little bit too haughty in our own minds in terms of thinking about our own abilities or thoughts or whatever, and just miss the plain, simple truth. We miss the simple thing that's right before us. And that's the wonderful thing about the plain, simple gospel message. Right? God has laid it out before us, and so many people will take that simple, clear gospel message and exchange it for all of these other ideas that they have about what it should be or shouldn't be, uh, we, we, we come to maybe an example. Have you ever sat down with somebody and, and, and they start asking you questions about Scripture and they're like, well, do you really believe that happened or what, whatever it is? Well, we could always point back to that great verse in 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It points out the very fact that the Bible itself is God-breathed, meaning that it, it is His Word. We can trust it. Everything that it says is true. That, that's the wonder of, of the Bible. It's not man-made stories. It's not, it's not fairy tales. It's not something that somebody thought up in their own mind. It, it is the very Word of God. God himself breathed it out, and we can have confidence that that is true. Just one time I was on a flight. Uh, I think I was flying from uh, South Carolina back here, but I, I, was, uh, I, I was going the other way, from here back to South Carolina. And I was on there with a man from Germany, and uh, he was a man who, he would actually design machines for coffee bean preparation. And apparently, I guess there's a market for that, you know, roasting the beans and how they move through all the equipment and everything. And so that was his job. That's what he, he did for a living. And uh, we, we were talking, and uh, along, I was at seminary at that time, and so we, we got to talking about that. And, and that was sort of his question to me. Do, do you really believe all that Bible stuff? I mean, that was kind of the idea. And, and I laid it out for her. I, I said, yes, it, it is the God-breathed, it is the very Word of God, it is the truth, I believe it. And he kind of just snickered and laughed. Why? Be, because he thought he knew better, right? He, he thought that he had a better idea than what God actually says, and, and there are people all around the world today who think they have a better idea than what the Bible actually says. They, they think that they, that they know better than what God says. And, and so whether that's on salvation and they, they come up with their own ideas about how salvation works, or, or whether that's about the Christian life and they think that they're so smart that they can live life their own way and ignore what God has commanded them to do. That, that is a reality. There are people who think they can live life their own way and just ignore that this is actually the very word of God. So, so what do you believe, Pastor? God created the world, everything, in fact, in six literal days. He actually did that. The Bible says it. I believe it. Adam and Eve were two real people. They actually existed. Two real people. Their names were Adam and Eve. It says it right here. God flooded the whole world. It was a worldwide flood. He did that in judgment of sin. He can do that. When, when, the, when Joseph led uh, the, the people into Egypt and brought all of the Israelites there, God didn't leave them there after Joseph was dead. He took them out of slavery. He led the exodus at the hand of Moses, and he parted the Red Sea. He actually did that. I have no doubt that he did it because he said that he did it. Jonah was swallowed up in a great big fish. Really happened. It's true. David killed Goliath. 
And you know when Daniel was in that lion's den, the lions didn't kill him. Why? Because the Bible said so. And Jesus literally was God. He was crucified, he was buried, and he rose again the third day. He literally ascended up to heaven. Because the Bible says so. You see, people still smirk at those things today. They, they will act as though it's, it doesn't happen. Why? Often they think they know better. They think that they're so smart or that they have some brighter idea about, about how it actually happened. But you know, Jesus focused on the need to have a simple faith. That's the title of this morning's message. It's simple faith. Faith like a little child. And as we understand the family relationship today, and we think about mothers who do such a, a large part in raising this next generation, we need to consider how essential that is to have that simple childlike faith. Verse 13 here in Mark chapter 10 says, And they brought young children to him, that's Jesus, that he should touch them, and his disciples rebuked those that brought them. First point this morning is that Jesus welcomed the simple. Right? Culturally, in that day, children were not as significant as they are today. Culturally, in the, the Jewish world and in the Jewish time, they, they were not regarded as highly. In fact, children were, were kind of sort of like, well, we have another worker, right? Another, another person to go out on the family farm and, and work and try to, try, to feed, uh, treat, try to feed our family. Uh, there was high infant mortality. And, and so oftentimes, folks wouldn't want to get too attached to their children because they were scared that they would, that they would lose them. And, and that challenge was, you know, was there. Well, let, let's make sure they get old enough before we get too attached to them. This, this word here for children that's described in verse 13, it certainly talks about infants and babies, but it goes beyond that. Um, you know, Matthew eleven sixteen actually talks about uh, these children who are actually playing a flute, so they're a little bit older. Mark 5 talks about a young lady who is 12 years old, and he uses the same word children to describe her. And so as we think about this word, we understand children could be anywhere, from the very smallest all the way up into maybe what we might call adolescence, right, a young age. And so in all of these cases, Jesus has these kids coming up to them, and it says specifically that in verse 13, that he should touch them. Verse 16 goes on and describes it. It says that he took them up in his arms, put his hands upon them, and blessed them. So, so what, are we, what are we talking about here? Imagine the kids coming up to Jesus, and, and we might describe it as praying over them today, right? He, he, is, he is placing his hand on them and, and praying over them. Uh, we, we would do something similar today when we have our baby dedications. And so when, when a, a baby comes forward, this is not an issue where, where these kids are somehow saved or anything like that. That's not what's going on. The, these are little children who are coming forward. Jesus is putting his hand on him, and, and he's praying for them. He, he's asking God to, to bless their lives, to encourage them. He's probably praying for their salvation. And, and so when we do a baby dedication here, we do a similar thing. We, we have a child come up, and and then uh, usually, if, if it's a young child, I might get the privilege of holding them or, you know, whatever it is. And then they start screaming. I have to hand them back to mom. And, and that's usually what happens, but that's okay. And, and then what happens? We, we pray for the child. Why? That, that they would grow up, that they would know the Lord, that they would be saved. 
Similar to the same prayers that, that we pray for our son every evening. We pray also for the parents. Why? That, that God would guide them and direct them in raising their children in a way that honors and pleases the Lord. That he would use his planned uh, means of carrying on the truth to the next generation, the family, to, to guide and direct those kids to, to grow in a way that, that pleases him. And so, in all of these cases, that's what we do, baby dedications. But remember, that wasn't how it worked back in that day. The idea of a, of a baby dedication would have been kind of, kind of foreign. Uh, remember, high mortality rate, kids coming out, they're, they're kind of viewed more like workers. In fact, Jesus actually spoke to the importance of children. Uh, this was a big cultural change for Israel in that time. If you're, if you're there, you can just flip back a chapter. Mark 9, verse 36, starts describing the previous encounter he had with a child. Verse 9, Mark 9, 36 says, He took a child, set him in the midst of them. When he had taken him in his arms, he said unto them, Whosoever shall receive one of such children in my name, receiveth me, and whosoever shall receive me, receiveth, uh, who, and whosoever shall receive me, receiveth not me, but him that sent me. Why did he do that? Well, verse 35 actually answers that. You've got to look back up. Verse 35 of Mark 9 says, And he sat down, called the twelve, said unto them, If any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all and servant of all. Okay, so when, when Jesus took a child on his lap and, and honors the child, what does he say? You need to act like you're the last. What does the person who is last or least look like? Somebody who's looking after kids. <laughs> that, that is kind of the idea here. And, and, and in that time, that, anybody who takes their time and wastes their time on kids in that culture, well, well, that's a lowly thing to do. Now, that has changed, right? That thinking, thankfully, has, has changed. And, and to a large extent, that has changed because of Jesus and the church. How do we know that? Well, if we think back and, and consider uh, some of the times in history um, in which the church has elevated children and our view of children, uh, we, will, we will consider that. So let, let's put this into context, right? Jesus sat down. He has the child. He says, if you want to be a follower of me, then you're going to be willing to take time for the very least in all the world. In that day, in that time, that was children. Most wouldn't have made the time. Most wouldn't have been willing to do it. They'd have seen the child said, get away from me. So that's culturally strange for us, but that's what it would have been like. Back now to Mark 10, verse 13. They brought the young children to him that he should touch them. His disciples rebuked those that brought them. What was going on in Jesus' day, even after that account in chapter 9? The kids are coming to Jesus. The, the disciples rebuke the ones who are bringing the kids to Jesus. That's a strong word. That's a really strong word. It's used in Mark 1 and Mark 9 to describe Jesus rebuking a demon. It, it's used in Mark 4 for a rebuke against the wind and the sea. It's used in Mark 8 when Jesus rebukes Peter and says, Get thee behind me, Satan. That is a strong word. And so here are the disciples rebuking the, the parents and those who are bringing these kids in for even bringing them near Jesus. And we see the Lord's heart in verse 14. 
when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased. All right, that word much displeased there, you may have it differently in your version. It may say something like indignant. It may say greatly displeased. There's another word that's used to describe this. That's the word angry. So, so here is the Savior of the world, and Jesus in this moment is the angry Savior of the world because he's mad, because of the way the disciples are behaving. We often think of Jesus. Well, remember when he got mad with the money changers, right, in the temple? He, he got angry. Remember when he got angry with the Pharisees? Right here, he's angry with the disciples. Because what they're doing is against what, what his disciples ought to be doing. He, he is an angry Savior, even against those who are following him. You want to find out what matters to somebody? Find out what makes them angry. You want to know what matters in your life? Look to the things that make you angry. Because if you are willing to get angry over, you know, whatever it is, fill in the blank. Maybe it's the sports game, right? Your team loses and you get angry. Find what you really love and care about in this world. It's what just made you angry. Somebody doesn't show you proper respect cuts you off, driving through traffic. You get angry. You just lose it. What do you love? You love being first. You love that respect that you think you deserve. Here's an example of Jesus getting angry. What does he love? What does he care about? Children. He cares about them. Many of us have had the privilege of having moms who have put before us an example of a mother who loves their kids. That's a wonderful thing. You know what that is? That's a mother who's acting like Christ, who is demonstrating the things that Jesus loves in her life. Right here in verse 14, there's two commands that Jesus gives at the end of the verse. He said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me. That's the positive, right? Permit the children to come to me. Second is the negative, forbid them not. For such is the kingdom of God. Don't hinder them. So Jesus gives two commands. Let them come up to me. And secondly, don't stop them from coming. I want them. Why? Because Jesus welcomes simple people, even little kids. You know, recently, Carenet uh, Peninsula, our local, uh, local crisis pregnancy center here on the peninsula, had a, had a kind of a virtual walk for life uh, fundraiser day. Um, I get their notifications in their letters. Uh, their job is to prevent moms or encourage moms not to have an abortion, to terminate their child, to murder their baby. That's their job. You know who their main supporters are? churches right here on the peninsula. Their, their primary supporters right here uh, for Carenet Peninsula are churches. Why? Because Christians care about life. Christians care about children. If we look back even further than that, if you go back to uh, thinking about what, what we just had even this morning before the service, Children's Sunday School. You know, that Sunday School movement did not start in the United States. It started back in England. 
and it started in the midst of the Industrial Revolution. Industrial Revolution, during those times, kids were not thought of too highly back then. Why? Because they started coming up with these great machines, and these machines could put out a lot of work, and they could do a lot of things. And you know what you had to do to work these machines? You had to pull a lever. And they said, well, any 10-year-old can do that. And so what happens? They took kids, and they started putting them in the factories to work. And, and that's what many kids grew up doing during those days of the Industrial Revolution. And there were Christians who didn't like that. There were Christians who said, we need something better for our children. And there was a man named Robert Rakes, and he started the Sunday School Movement in England. And so it was a place where kids could get together. They would learn about the Lord. They would learn basic educational principles, even learn how to brush their hair. And he would use that to train the next generation while their parents were off working and to help get them out of factories. Why? Because he was a believer and he loved children. See, Christians care about children. Here at Grace, we care about children. And many of you serve in our children's ministry, whether that be Sunday school like we just talked about, the nursery, Wednesday night for our Patch the Pirate Club or, or vacation Bible school over the summers. Why, why do we do all that? Why do we set aside funds to, to go into these ministries? Because we love kids. And you know who the example was for that? Jesus himself. Because Jesus loves kids. But you see, this passage, even though children are the illustration used, are not actually what this passage is primarily about. second thing we see in this passage is that God's kingdom belongs to the simple. In the verse 14, it says, For of such is the kingdom of God. This kingdom of God, this idea of a kingdom of God, what do you need to have a kingdom? Well, you need a king, right? We've got that. We know who that is. That's Jesus. You need subjects. You need people who are following under that king. Well, that's God's people. And then you need him to, the king to actually exercise his rule. Right? He has to be a living king. He still needs to be exercising that dominion over his kingdom. So the question becomes then, how do we become part of this kingdom? Because it, it talks about these little children coming to Jesus, for of such is the kingdom of God. How do you become a part of that wonderful kingdom? Well, we could put it this way. Uh, scripture puts it very clearly in Romans 10, verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth Jesus is Lord, and thou shalt believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Does that mean God desires to save people? And who does he save? Well, that's the next question. This passage points us to a very clear answer. God saves people who are insignificant. God saves people who are simple. God saves people who have nothing to offer. In essence, we could say that God saves people who are nobodies. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 through 29 put it this way, For, if, for you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. 
But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, things which are not, to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. What's the heart of that passage? God saves people who have nothing to offer to him. Nothing at all. It's amazing how many times you, you will come up with people who are, are proud in their thought process. Well, uh, I'm so glad I'm here at church because I'm a deep thinker. <laughs> I mean, you, you see those kind of things start prop, cropping up and, and coming up. Certainly, certainly God would want me. I, I, it's so good that I'm here because, because I, I, I have something to offer. I heard an illustration of, of someone he was, he was talking about the importance of hard work and the importance of hard work in his country. And, and he said, we have the great example because we've got to work hard for God to, to, to be saved. And uh-oh, <laughs> maybe he misspoke. Maybe he didn't mean to say that. But we don't have anything to offer to God. And if that's what you believe, you're not saved today. See, the ones who are proud, they're, they're not believers the ones who understand that we have nothing to bring to God. That's where salvation comes from. Verse 15 says, Verily I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God, how as a little child he shall not enter therein. It is not too strong to say that those who do not come in simple faith to Jesus are not saved. It is not too strong to say those who believe that you have to have faith plus something else are not saved. How in the world could you say that, Pastor? Some of these people are nice people because Jesus said it. And this is his word, not mine. And this is his plan, not mine. And these are his ideas. They're not mine. And you know what? That's better because he knows what he's doing. What does it take to receive the kingdom of God as a little child? Well, children are simple. Children are trusting. I'll give you an example. Occasionally Daniel still gets tired or uh, afraid, frightened in his room when he's there by himself at night. And uh, maybe you've seen this with your own kids. Imagine a child there in the room and they, they cry out, Daddy, Daddy, come! Daddy, help! You know, <laughs> all right, and you, and you go in there. You say, well, what's wrong? What's wrong? There's somebody outside the window. Right? Well, what's my response usually to something like that? Well, I, I, I will tell him, Daniel, you don't have to worry. You are safe. Nothing will hurt you. Daddy is here. I will protect you. You're okay. And you know what usually he does after that? Okay. And he lays down and goes to sleep, and it's fine. Why? Because, because daddy took care of it, right? What, what is that? That is simple faith. That is just simply trusting. Now, now, me, on the other hand, I'm worried who's outside the window, right? What do we have to do? What am I going to do? And all that stuff. You know, that, but he believed, right? He, he just, he just, it was just simple faith. He knew that daddy would take care of him, so he goes to sleep. I heard this other illustration of, of, of an example. Uh, it was somebody, and it was after Easter. They were over like an aunt's house, and they received a white chocolate Easter bunny. Okay, and so the aunt gives, gives the nephew the white chocolate bunny, 
And, and, and he says, I don't want this. And she said, well, what do you mean you don't want? Well, it's not chocolate. But why? It's white chocolate. And, and, and she said, well, it's, it's white chocolate. It's the same. It doesn't look like chocolate. <laughs> so, so she told them something, and, and she made something up. She said, well, you just have to understand. All chocolate comes out white first, and then they add food coloring. That, that, that's what she said. And you know what he did? He believed her, and he took that white chocolate buddy, and he ate the whole thing, and he enjoyed it. And he said for years after that, he was telling kids all along that white chocolate was actually the original form, and the, chocolate kind, the brown guy just had food coloring in it. Why? Because he was simple. Right? That is simple, childlike faith. And that's what God has called anyone who's part of the kingdom to have. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. Are you willing to just accept and believe what the word of God says about salvation? Maybe you'd say to me today, you know, Pastor, I, I imagine a scenario where you have somebody out there who is good, they are kind to others, they're, they're prominent in their community, they take care of their neighbors, they look after them, they, they spend their lives giving to, to a good cause, whether it be time or money, but they've never put their faith in Christ. And on the other hand, there's somebody out there, Pastor, and, and he is just a terrible guy. Maybe he's killed people. He is an actual, absolute terrible guy. He's harmed a lot of other people. And yet, before he dies, he, he repents, he recognizes all that is wrong, and that he has lived a terrible life, and he turns it over to the Lord, and, and he cries out to Jesus to save him in simple childlike faith. Pastor, are you telling me that that bad guy can go to heaven and the nice guy who never trusted Christ can go to hell? Well, that's what the Bible teaches. And, and I know that that can be hard. And I know that that can be difficult. And there are a lot of people hearing this who may say, well, I don't think that could be true. And in the midst of your mind and your thoughts and how you think it should work, you're placing yourself over and above God. And you're saying that I know better than he does. And if you want to be saved, you can. But it requires simple, childlike faith. It means that what God said, we believe. What he set forth as his plan, that's true. You see, if, if you think that it's based on anything that we do, you've missed the point of the gospel. It's not based on what we do, good or bad. It's what Jesus has done for us. And so when we recognize that in the midst of this life, we are all sinners, and our sin is separating us from God, there is no way that we could earn salvation. Save the work of Jesus Christ. When he died on the cross for the sin, it's not our work, it's his work. And so when we look to Jesus for salvation, we can be confident 
that we can be saved. See, that's simple, childlike faith. To pray, to ask for salvation, to believe, and be saved. See, well, that seems too simple. Verse 15 makes it very clear. It is that simple. Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. I know we've talked a lot about children, but really this passage is not so much about children. It's about those who believe and those who believe not. It's about those who will enter the kingdom of God and those who won't enter it because in the midst of their stubbornness, they are clinging to their own ideas rather than trusting God. See, God has provided these answers for us in his word. We can believe it. We can trust it. And in simple, childlike faith, we can know for sure that we have eternal life. God said it. Will you believe it? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word, that it is powerful, that it is trustworthy. Father, we know that in this life there are many folks who have their own ideas about what they think salvation should be like. Father, we know that in this life there are those who will snicker and laugh at the truth of your word. Father, I pray for those who are hearing today that they would repent of their stubbornness and pride, that they would submit to the King of all. Father, to be willing to come under the power of your word and believe. Father, we do thank you for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, and that salvation is available with no cost to us, but great cost to him by his blood which was shed on the cross for our sins, that by believing in him we might have eternal life. Heads bowed, eyes closed, and we'll give you a chance to respond. As Pants begins to play, if you would just simply say this morning, Pastor, I've never put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save me. I know without a doubt I have never had this simple childlike faith. I've never just simply believed. Pastor, I know God needs to do some work in my heart. I'm not going to call you out. I just want to pray for you. If that's you, would you just slip up your hand? Anybody at all? Let me say, Pastor, I never believed, but this morning, today, I'm going to put my faith in Jesus Christ to save me. Today, I'm going to demonstrate simple, childlike faith and belief. If that's you, would you slip up your hand? I won't call you out. I just want to pray for you. One more question this morning. Those of you who know you are part of the kingdom of God, this message of the gospel is a simple one. Would you commit to getting out this plain and simple message of the gospel this week to someone? Would you say, Pastor, I I want to tell somebody about Jesus. It's not so complicated. 
just want to tell them about the Jesus who died on the cross for their sins. Would you pray for me, Pastor, as I try to get this gospel out this week? Anybody like that at all? Amen. Many people. Amen. Heavenly Father, I do pray for those who are seeking to get your word out. Father, we pray that you would allow them to speak clearly the simple truth. Father, we pray for those who, who will be hearing the gospel this week. We pray that you would open their hearts, allow them to be sensitive to your teaching. Father, we pray that you would grant them simple childlike faith, that they would believe. Lord, we know that this is not beyond your power. May we have confidence, even if we've not seen someone come to Christ recently, that you are still saving people. Father, that we can be confident that you care for them far more than we ever could. Father, we thank you for the example you have provided before us today of your love for children. Father, an example which has changed nations and civilizations to, to be places where children are honored and cared for as the next generation comes to be. Father, we do pray for the future generations here that you would give parents wisdom to raise their children in ways that honor you, that you would uphold them, give them grace. Father, help them to not give up, but to press on in the hard work, discipline and discipleship and encouragement. Father, that this next generation would be kids that love you and honor you. We know that these things would be well-pleasing to you, Lord. And Father, we thank you especially for our moms today. Lord, uphold them and encourage them. Father, help, help their spouses come alongside and encourage them and lift them up. Father, we pray that you would strengthen the moms, that, Father, they would continue to be examples of Christ-likeness in their family. And Father, that in spite of the challenges and, and difficulties, that the joy of the next generation coming would be one that overflows their hearts as they live out Christ-likeness day by day. We thank you so much for our moms. And Lord, we know that it is your plan to bring this about this way, so ultimately we give thanks to you as well. Father, we pray that today would be a wonderful day as we seek to honor our moms. Lord, we love you. We pray these things all in Jesus' name. Amen.